listening to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. We're your local feminist radio show. You're listening to your host, Christina. I use pronouns she, her. It'll just be me today. Uh, Cran is super busy with a lot of papers. Best of luck to him. Uh, at this point in the semester, a lot of us are really crushed with the weight of the proletariat workload, balancing school and work all at once. The UMFM 101.5 broadcasts at 1200 watts from the University of Manitoba, located on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabe, Nihiawak, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. So since it'll just be me today, I thought I would take you folks through a little bit of the literature that has inspired me over the years of sort of my exploration of feminist literature. So I'll start with some quotes from Audre Lorde's works. Um, I've, if you're an avid listener, I'm sure you've heard me quote her uh, a whole, a whole whack of times. So she has this book, uh, Sister Outsider, and it's essentially a, a collection of speeches and and writings that she's done, and one of them is called. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. So to read a couple paragraphs from that chapter. And I'll, I'll start with, uh, I should probably backtrack and give you a little bit of background on who Audre Lorde is. So she's a uh, black lesbian feminist poet, activist, author, um, and she's, she's been really integral, I think, to the literature on intersectional feminism. Those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to stand alone, unpopular, and sometimes reviled, and how to make common cause with those others identified as outside the structures in order to define and seek a world in which we can all flourish. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths. For the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. I love that quote. And I think a lot of people who organize as, as I organize, um, the, we just keep coming back to this quote. We'll be figuring out our strategies in terms of how we want to approach a given issue we're tackling, for example, how to combat anti-choicers. And we often have a tendency to kind of repeat this, the mistakes of the past. We'll go for reformist solutions. Reformist solutions are things that essentially try to tweak the system from within. We try to uh, just change the things about the system that don't work for us and uh, and maybe that'll be a solution. In my experience, I have found that that's, it's a start. You know, uh, MSU was effectively able to pass the pro-choice motion, which is fantastic. ASBC was able to do that as well. That's the Art Student Body Council and the Student Union here on campus, if you're not familiar. Um, and we're really, really excited about that. But the thing is, those rules can be changed. Uh, if some executives a few years down the line really wanted to, it would not be difficult for them to just change the constitutions back and remove those modifications. So as Audre Lorde said, 
The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. So what is the solution then? And this is also what brings brings me back to proletariat feminism. If you uh, listen to the previous episodes where we've talked about proletariat feminisms, the answer is it can only be revolution. It can only be overthrowing the capitalistic structure. I won't go too far into that, though. Um, that's just kind of some food for thought. To read a little bit more from uh, Lord's chapter here. She says, Women of today are still being called upon to stretch across the gap of male ignorance and to educate men as, as to our existence and our needs. This is an old and primary tool of all oppressors to keep the oppressed occupied with the master's concerns. Now we hear that it is the task of women of color to educate white women. In the face of tremendous resistance as to our existence, our differences, our relative roles in our joint survival. This is, di this is a diversion of energies and a tragic repetition of racist patriarchal thought. And a little bit further down the chapter, she says, Racism and homophobia are real conditions of all our lives in this place and time. I urge each one of us here to reach down into that deep place of knowledge inside herself and touch that terror and loathing of any difference that lives there. See whose face it wears. Then the personal as the political can begin to illuminate all our choices. So I really love this excerpt as well, uh, how she's speaking of how it's the task of women of color to educate white women. It's the task of women to educate men. It's the task of the oppressed to teach the oppressor. Uh, back when I was first beginning kind of feminist discourse, I think I had a very strong temptation to say, well, if I don't understand something, just educate me. But now having spent so much time surrounded in this discourse and realizing my place as being oppressed as compared to men and having tried so many times uh, and gotten nowhere, having conversations with men who have zero interest in uh, listening to what you have to say and rather think that they're contributing to the conversation by just applying a critical eye, by just playing devil's advocate, uh, basically thinking that they're contributing by shooting down your ideas. Um, of course, constructive criticism is great, uh, but they don't usually offer any kind of uh, approach. Now, they might just say, actually, you know what, the thing that they usually say is uh, that we should be more uh, inclusive and welcoming to men and basically keep accommodating them, which I love just playing out the same old narrative. That's my favorite thing to do. I'm reeking of sarcasm, if you couldn't tell. Um, it takes so much energy to try to educate the oppressor. Uh, and based on what Audre Lorde is saying here, you don't have to waste your time doing that. Of course, it's productive. If you can actually have a conversation with somebody where they're going to listen and where maybe you'll be able to open up uh, that creative space and have a, a productive dialogue in which somebody is actually listening and not just trying to talk over you. Of course, that is actually how most education about oppression occurs, is by somebody who's actually willing to listen. Now, we're probably going to, or uh, myself for sure, I'm not going to spend a lot of energy trying to convince people who don't want to be convinced. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time running out into the streets and uh, screaming at you, uh, check your privilege. 
which everyone should. But if I'm just saying that to somebody who, you know, is uh, across this ideological gap and just sees me as a feminazi, then we're not going to get very far, are we? So to move on to another um, feminist author here, Bell Hooks, she's, um, and to tell you a little bit about, a little bit about Bell Hooks, she's, she's an American author, professor, feminist, and social activist, um, and she's got this really cool quote here. She says, usually adult males who are unable to make emotional connections with the women they choose to be intimate with are frozen in time, unable to allow themselves to love for the fear that the loved one will abandon them. If the first woman they passionately loved, the mother, was not true to her bond of love, then how can they trust that their partner will be true to love? Often in their adult relationships, these men act out again and again to test their partner's love. While the rejected adolescent boy imagines that he can no longer receive his mother's love because he is not worthy, as a grown man he may act out in ways that are unworthy and yet demand of the woman in his life that she offer him unconditional love. This testing does not heal the wound of the past, it merely reenacts it, for ultimately the woman will become weary of being tested and end the relationship, thus reenacting the abandonment. This drama confirms for many men that they cannot put their trust in love. They decide it is better to put their faith in being power in being powerful in being dominant. I think that's a really good um, description of essentially the the discourse of male dominance and female submission. So when I say discourse, I mean kind of the narrative, the underlying assumption in how we all operate and I say we I see us as people and because people are in everything people are in government people wrote the laws that uh, run this country these systems underlie everything and that's how it becomes uh, systemic oppression as well so they decide that it is better to put their faith in being powerful in being dominant so they're reenacting this narrative and we see this all the time um, I'm sure many listeners have seen this occur where uh, you just can't get through to a man because he's just so concerned in being controlling and being dominant. And then uh, the people that are trying to have a relationship with him uh, just get frustrated and leave. And then you go back and then you're reenacting the same thing over and over again. Now, this, uh, this male dominance discourse, uh, it's harmful for everyone. And we've, you know, we hashed out masculinity pretty well in our last, uh, in last week's episode. Uh, we talked about how if a man isn't able to talk about his emotions in the way that women are encouraged to uh, and women do, then he's not going to have any outlets for that. He's not going to be, he's not going to become skilled in knowing himself and being able to communicate his needs and his emotions. And he's going to be stuck and that's not great and then of course uh if a woman is able to express her emotions and a man isn't and if those two people are in a relationship together that's going to put the woman in a really dis dangerous situation where she's uh at risk of the man taking that out on her and that happens every day that's domestic violence that's uh unhealthy relationships that's a huge problem in our society so 
it's kind of interesting to think about the different ways in which this discourse comes out. It doesn't just come out in heterosexual relationships, actually. I've really spent a lot of time recently thinking about how it actually uh, impacts our understanding of lesbian relationships. Now, we've touched on this in previous episodes, but it's something I kind of want to talk about a little bit on this episode. Um, So my girlfriend and I just had our one year anniversary and it's been fantastic, but I can't help but think about um, just kind of the ways in which the male dominance discourse has wiggled its way into my brain. I'll admit, um, and I think wiggles its way into a lot of people's brains. Um, before I get into that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about a, a book that that I read recently that also kind of talks about this. So uh, this book is called The Lesbian Erotic Dance, Butch, Femme, Androgyny, and Other Rhythms, and it's by Joanne uh, Lulin and Sherry Thomas. Um, I don't have any excerpts to read it for you. It's It's just, it was a too difficult of a Google search. There's no PDFs actively available in my copies at home. Um, but it's it's a really cool book. Um, it, uh, it makes a really interesting argument about butch and femme. Uh, basically, a lot of people think that butch and femme is just kind of a reenactment of heterosexual uh, roles within a lesbian relationship. They just think it's a reenactment of the gender roles that uh, exist and oppress us within heterosexual uh, life uh, playing out in what is inherently a transgress- uh, transgressive relationship style, lesbianism. But this book argues that there is nothing heterosexual about two women together and wrote a whole book about that very thing. <laughs> so um, she makes a really good case for it. If you're interested, I, I would highly recommend it. Um, Oh, and if you're not familiar with what butch and femme are, butch is uh, kind of a lesbian stereotype of uh, the woman with uh, the lesbian woman with short hair and, you know, wears the the tank top and has the big muscles and whatnot and um, basically looks like the gender stereotype of a guy and uh, a femme uh, or what's sometimes called a lipstick lesbian, just basically like a very feminine looking lesbian uh, you know, she wears dresses and red lipsticks and what have you. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and I'm actually going to get into uh, how this has affected, uh, how this affects lesbian dating and dating culture as I know it. So this is a very anecdotal description that I'm going to get into now. Um, so typically, if you go on dating apps, now I'm a pansexual woman, so I've had... Uh, these interactions with uh people of all genders i've dated people of uh a number of different genders uh men women non-binary etc um so typically you go on these dating apps and uh you see the narratives playing out right away basically um if you are a woman that is on tinder you are receiving a lot of messages pretty much guaranteed you might actually become overwhelmed with how many messages you're being bombarded with and if you're a guy on there you are usually finding that you are expected to initiate the conversation and even if people kind of disagree with um with that status quo uh the reality is that is how it is playing out that is absolutely what's happening and uh it would require a complete overturn of our society, basically, for that status quo to change uh, as it plays out in uh, Tinder culture and online dating culture. So, 
what if two women match on tinder okay so obviously one of them is going to have to figure out that they need to initiate the conversation uh and sometimes that goes well of course um and oftentimes it just winds up in the conversation dying really quickly um so the conversation can die really quickly of course when heterosexual couples match on these apps but in my personal observation it tends to happen a lot quicker with women now this is it makes sense right because and this the, you know i'm at fault for this too because i'm just used to um them putting in all the effort to starting the conversation so i think after some time of this uh women seeking women on these apps will realize this and we, we become a little bit better at starting conversations. Now I kind of have my set of opening uh, one-liners <laughs> um, and other people will realize that and we'll kind of be more receptive to each other and just be like, oh, hey, we should validate what the other person is saying, which that's also a problem if women... Um, sorry, not if women, but if, if people just aren't validating each other in conversation when you're trying to get in, to know each other, that's not that's just not productive. Not to say that you should or shouldn't act in a certain way, but um, if you're not putting effort into conversation and then wondering why the app isn't working, uh, that's probably why. <laughs> I digress. Um, so you open up the, the conversation. Uh, maybe it goes well enough that you decide to meet. That's all cool and fine. Um, and then you have to uh, basically enter this new space, or at least for me, it was a new space because uh, a lot of my first dating experiences were with, uh, not women, with men and non-binary, et cetera. Uh, I started uh, exploring my interest in women kind of a few years down the line. It's, uh, it is different you're used to kind of having this underlying narrative that you're either going to follow or not follow. For example, if you go on a date with a guy, um, you know that there's the existing narrative of the man is expected to pay and you can sort of mutually make that decision on whether or not that happens. Um, now, as for little stuff like that, I've actually found that pretty easy to overcome. Uh, quite simply, communicate if you're two women on a date or or two people period on a date uh you can literally just communicate about that uh but there's no expectation when two women are on a date um i i kind of become curious now like i'm not i'm not a butch i'm not a femme like uh i'd say i'm i'm probably pretty androgynous myself but depending on the day i can kind of be more butch or femme and i i kind of wonder if uh If there are butch and femme relationships in which they just assume that the butch will pay for everything. I'm sure there are. Sorry, that was I'm just kind of speculating right now. Um, but uh, but with myself, uh, usually we just kind of have a conversation at the end of the day where uh, which usually winds up in, hey, do you want to go Dutch? Do you want to just, you know, each of us pay for our own stuff? And that's usually how it goes. Or you decide to start taking turns on who will pay on, you know, given dates. And then. Uh. And here's, here's a, a really interesting uh, topic that I think a lot of people don't like to talk about, but it definitely comes up. Uh, if you haven't really applied a critical eye to it, w uh, <laughs> women who are dating women for the first time are not familiar with making the first move. And I feel okay 
talking about this right now because I'm incredibly guilty of this myself. This took me a long time to figure out. Even within lesbian relationships, that narrative, that heteronormative narrative of the woman being the passive receiver, it plays out. And <laughs> in lesbian relationships, uh, at some point, we realize that and we're like, oh my God, okay, we have to figure out how to make our first move. And then usually, thankfully, you know, there's a happy end to the story. We figure that out. We figure out how to make the first move and we can carry on and our hunky-dory lives. Um, and I think... Really, I think most people that have uh, experienced lesbian relationships have uh, probably a similar story of realizing this and realizing, oh my God, okay, we got to figure this out. So that's just to say that um, these relationships play out everywhere, even in a relationship style that is uh, inherently transgressive. And it's, uh, it's not all bad, you know, you'll overcome it. You'll figure it out. I promise. So kind of on that tangent, while I was looking for more quotes here, I found this one by uh, this feminist J.D. Anderson. Uh, it looks like she's a writer, videographer, feminist. Um, she has this quote that says, Feminism isn't about making women stronger. Women are already strong. It's about changing the way the world perceives that strength. And I think that's actually illuminating to what I was just speaking to. Um, I think in my first couple... Uh, relationships uh, with women or attempted relationships with women um, a lot of the times I and this might have been me it might have been the people that I was with um, and I'm just telling you this story because maybe there's someone listening who may be able to relate to this experience it might have been me it might have been their expectation of me um, I kind of felt like I was expected to play out the subject position of a man um, which kind of looks a certain way. Um, I felt like I was expected to... <sighs> I was expected to make the first move, of course. I was expected to um, just kind of be a little more decisive, I think. Be really clear in what it is that I wanted. Whereas I think a lot of the times, uh, as relationships play out in our society... Um, in the heteronormative relationships, women don't really have to be that decisive. A lot of the time, you're just kind of getting together with the man and then he's making the decisions and he's deciding how everything is going to go. So I, I almost feel like perhaps some of the time when I was getting into these initial relationships with women, um, even once I had developed my voice, once I had found my voice and had found kind of my decisiveness it was one thing for that to be present it was another for me to be perceived as such um and I think that's really all I can uh and then of course uh, as my relationships have progressed um I've gotten a little bit older you know I've met my current girlfriend and we haven't really had an issue with this uh, it has changed and I think we're both free of the expectations uh, for either of us to play out the standard narrative of how a relationship should look in many regards I'll add not just in the heteronormative one person has to make all the decisions kind of regard but in several regards of course you know we're in this uh, lesbian polyamorous asexual and uh, allosexual relationship 
So there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of counter narratives at play here. So I'm sure that helps the fact that we're not expected to uh, act a certain way in in several regards. So I'll kind of end off with discussion of one last quote from Audre Lorde here. She says, the true focus of revolutionary change is never merely the oppressive situations that we seek to escape, but that piece of the oppressor which is planted deep within each of us. I think that's a really fantastic thing to accomplish. I think in terms of the goals of feminism, of course, you want to overcome all of these oppressive ideologies the things that we all have every single person is racist don't kid yourself for a second and say it's it's impossible not to be this is this is what it is um the what you have to do and what you need to do is actively challenge that racism build up the counter narratives in your mind get to know the actual reality of the situation and continuously question yourself if anyone ever thinks that they're not racist, uh, if anyone ever thinks that they're not racist, no matter how much work they do, there's no end point. You don't just do work and then wind up not racist at some point. It's a continuous process. Being an ally to any cause is a continuous process. You have to always continue to grow, continue to change, continue to take in information. There will never be a shortage of things to learn about people. And there will never be a shortage of things to learn about people who are not represented in uh, the idea of the norm. The norm being, you know, the white, straight, cis, heterosexual, middle class, to upper class, uh, upper, uh, upper class males. So that's all I have for you today. Uh, this has been Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM, uh, your local uh, one of your local feminist radio shows. There's a few of them on this station, which is pretty awesome. Um, this is uh, Christina. And uh, if you have any comments or questions, uh, if you liked the style of this show today, it was definitely a little more chill, a little less polished than usual, I guess. Just kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation or me on on you. I guess there's not just one of you, I, I would hope. Uh, anyways, um, the Instagram is wake the F up UMFM. Be sure to hit me up if you have any comments. Catch you next week. How you